Danielle, welcome to the Zeno Life. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time since we last spoke and I've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. You know, the conversation with you was one of those where my mind was blown and I think I've asked you multiple times like are you sure that this is this works? I I I I just can't believe that this is true. It was just too good to be true. So I think it's just imperative that uh the audience that's listening in now and that's also going to be listening to this after this conversation really understands the space that you're operating in that you're specializing in and also your specific initiative open avenues that like really understands it because i think it's serving a lot of people in ways that are really really needed so really excited about this conversation you're not alone in the the shock factor i think a lot, a lot of times if you've been through a journey in immigration and you hear about our solution shock is the first feeling that you you have when we dig in yeah well i i guess the good thing is that it's in a the shock is a positive shock right yeah. pleasantly surprised so that's a good yeah. thing you know <laughs> i mean after just years i think months and years of fighting the the immigration system uh, not not only immigrants fighting the immigration system but folks like yourself fighting the immigration system when you come across solutions like this you're just like wow you know it feels like a breath of fresh air so uh, but we'll get to that uh, but why don't we start with i think it's always super interesting to hear you know like what tell us a little bit about yourself your background right and how did you you know stumble into the immigration space and start open avenues but just give us a little bit of background about yourself if you don't mind so for those who haven't gotten any background on me from uh the bio in this event i am the executive director of open avenues foundation and i started open avenues with my father in 2018 and My father is an immigration attorney. I have grown up understanding that the in- immigration system in the US is antiquated. It has been since I was young and it's always been pretty frustrating for a lot of folks who are coming from abroad who are deserving individuals and I met a lot of those individuals throughout my life and I built relationships with them. And after school I went into consulting and I you know went on my own path but when you have a family when you have a father or a family member who has instilled a passion for something in you from a young age when you're given the opportunity to go build something and make a change in that space you you do you take it so um when families were being separated at the border in 2018 um mm-hmm. my family wanted to do something uh we didn't really know what but we started open avenues foundation to try to demonstrate that foreign nationals could add a lot of value to the US and that was really what brought us to start the organization and we built it over the next year and a half and it's been going strong since wow that's that's amazing when you started open avenues and I, i know we are going to specifically talk about cap exempt at h1b visas but when you started open avenues was the intent to focus on cap exam right from the get go or did you start with some something else in mind and then evolve your way into cap exam visas well we're we're a values driven organization we really truly care about the path and opening pathways for foreign nationals in the US so the way we started is definitely in line with that we started with family reunification of migrant families who were separated at the US Mexico border So we actually started a campaign. That was our first thing that we did as Open Avenues Foundation. We started a campaign to raise funds and reunite migrant families around the US and support families who'd been reunited with mental health care, with legal support and uh housing. So we raised around $300,000, had 1500 volunteers around the country and worked with 250 families. within 6 months of starting open avenues uh to try to make a difference for those who had just really been through a traumatic experience so while that's not where we are now we gave away all the funds we you know we did we made that initial impact and we said what can we build that's going to be more sustainable uh you know something where we still change that narrative about immigrants in the US and and are not just you know putting money towards a problem but thinking about a solution where we can continue to create pathways for individual 
in a unique way and also continue to showcase through data, through stories, and through real experiences that, that Americans can have, that foreign talent, foreign nationals really do create positive impact and positive change for American society. I love the fact that you transition from, you know, of course, that initial initiative is super important. But then I guess when once that mission was accomplished, then starting to ask yourself, okay, what can we do that's sustainable? Because I think the word sustainable is so important in this space. Uh, because whatever you do, if it's not going to be self-sustaining, then it's going to eventually like wither away. It's, it's, it just happens with a lot of initiatives and projects. So I love the fact that um, you're focusing on that. We'll talk a little bit about some of the work that you're doing to really highlight the stories, et cetera, you know, specifically. But I guess one of the pathways that we're going to really focus on in this conversation is the CAP exempt uh, H-1B visa. So maybe let's talk about that and then we'll zoom back out and talk about other things. Help us understand what are CAP exempt H-1B visas. Uh, usually H-1B visas, uh, you have to go through a lottery system. There's only 85,000 H-1Bs available every year. And a lot of people, especially who are on F-1 student visas or um, H-4 dependent visas, especially they really uh, struggle to get the H-1B visa and hence struggle to continue or even start their work in the United States. So help us understand how are cap exam visas different, what what they are and what should the audience really know about those that category of visas? You're right that the H-1B work visa is the most common work visa and definitely the most well-known. It's the path that most individuals will qualify for if they have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in a specific field. And therefore, it's a really hard visa to get because we have so many registrants into this capped lottery every year in March. And that cap of 85,000 hasn't changed in decades, and it's not changing. But the number of registrants into that lottery has continuously increased year over year. Last year, there were 480,000 registrants into that lottery, and there was not a second lottery. Uh, and it was really frustrating for companies who were trying to retain their key software developer, their key uh, data scientist, or their co-founder. Um, and really frustrating for foreign nationals who have invested a ton of time, energy, passion into getting a job, into going to school. So. The problem is real and companies are feeling it and foreign nationals are feeling it. But what people don't know is that there are four types of organizations in the United States that are exempt from that cap of 85,000. And these organizations can always sponsor a cap exempt H-1B, an H-1B visa outside of that cap of 85,000. And they can sponsor them at any time of year. It doesn't have to be around the lottery system. Um, and so those types of organizations are nonprofit research institutions, government research institutions, universities, and nonprofits that are affiliated with universities. And if you work for one of these organizations, full-time or part-time, then you can be sponsored for a cap-exempt H-1B. And so maybe to go into the details of that a little bit uh, for the benefit of the audience. Um, so by definition, of course, there's no cap to this category. Uh, there's uh, universities and research, research institutions can sponsor as many visas as in, as needed. And um, can they sponsor those any time in the year? Or is there a certain timeline, just like the lottery, you have to wait for that month in the year in order to apply? Or is it any time in the year? Any time of year, it doesn't matter whether you're coming from abroad or you're graduating from school, your OPT is expiring, your J-1 is expiring, your B-1, B-2 is expiring. A, an organization, as long as you have a U.S. company that wants to sponsor you for an H-1B, if, it, if the organization is in the U.S., is it an entity, is one of those four entities, you can get a cap-exempt H-1B with them. And that's because Congress deemed that these four types of organizations were adding immense value to U.S. society and that they should be able to bring over as many foreign nationals as they can to build out the, the work that they're doing. You know, um, hospitals are a great example. Many of them are nonprofit research institutions. 
and they are able to sponsor their doctors and nurses and specialists for CAP-exempt H-1Bs. Universities are sponsoring mostly tenured professors or uh, professors from abroad who are adding so much value to society. So um, Open Avenues, as we'll get into as a nonprofit, we wanted to build it with that same intention. So, you know, clearly this is a category which can add a lot of value to a lot of people and is the, from an immigration perspective, it's in and of itself, the barrier to entry is low. So what's preventing people from, in your experience, um, really applying for these positions which sponsor CapExam visas because, you know, as we know, a lot of people struggle with the lottery system uh, who are in various situations. So why isn't there more awareness about this or like, you know, why don't we more people apply for such positions? Well, the four types of organizations are not the most common organizations that professionals in tech fields, biotech fields, uh, financial fields are going to go work for. Um, so we have absolutely many doctors who can benefit from this. We have individuals who are in academia that can benefit from this in those institutions. But for most individuals who are graduating from school, they're, they're getting jobs at biotech companies that are not hospitals. They're getting, you know, they're entering the private sector and are looking for high paying, exciting jobs or building companies. And those companies don't qualify as cap exempt organizations. So there's a, you know, a mismatch sort of in some ways about the, the positions and the, the demand. Our innovation economy is not only geared towards these four types of organizations, right? We need foreign nationals to feed into the, the private sector to, to build there, not just in academia, not just out of hospitals. So there's the intention from Congress is good, but there's definitely uh, more we can do and that we recognize that we can do to create these pathways, leveraging the CAP-exempt H-1B to enable foreign nationals with these key skill sets who are trying to add value to our society to work for the private sector as well. So outside of the open avenues model that we're going to talk about in a little bit, who should be really thinking about the cap exam visas in your experience? What are typical situations in which you would say to the individual, look, you need to be a lot more aware about this category. You need to be looking for positions in these four categories so that you can apply for the cap exam visas. Like are there typical personas or visa situations where this advice is applicable versus other categories where individuals might be better off just still applying for uh, the regular jobs in the corporate world? When an individual has an H-1B as their only option for a visa, it's always important to think about what a plan B would be. So if you do not win the lottery after three years of applying or one year of applying because you only have one year of OPT, uh, it is smart to think about how you could create a cap-exempt employment situation. Um, that mean, could mean working part-time for a cap-exempt employer, working part-time for a university, part-time for open avenues, or part-time for a hospital. And, and if they're willing to sponsor for five hours to eight hours per week of employment, the beauty of a cap-exempt H-1B and what Open Avenues leverages as the model, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is that if you are in cap-exempt status with a cap-exempt employer for part-time work, then any U.S. employer, full, can, that it, any private sector U.S. employer can file a full-time cap-exempt H-1B for you. So individuals are able to work part-time for these cap-exempt organizations and then full-time for a U.S. employer that is not cap-exempt and still be on a cap-exempt H-1B. That's the really exciting uh, and innovative piece of this that is not so well-known. Now, there's also the reality where individuals could graduate from school and say, you know what, this H-1B lottery is crazy. I'm not going to go that path. I'm going to go into academia and I'm going to work my way up at a university because I know that a university can sponsor me for a cap exempt H-1B. Or, you know, I have the ability to work at 
um, you know, NYU Medical Center, or I could go work at this biotech company. And the reality is, is that NYU, the lab at NYU could sponsor you for a cap exempt H1B because it's a university. Um, so being aware that there are jobs, there are jobs and they might not be as high paying, um, but they might alleviate a lot of stress. <laughs> so, you know, there's different pathways that can be taken for, for folks out, out of school. So a uh, couple of more questions before we go into the specific OA model. Um, it sounds like, and I think you said this, that for these positions, which are cap exempt, there are no um, salary requirements. Is that correct? And there are, it doesn't have to be a full-time position, right? Those two things are correct about cap exempt visas. So it does position. not have to be a full-time position. You can work for a cap exempt organization part-time. But all companies in the United States that are hiring someone in H-1B must pay the fair prevailing wage mm -hmm. determined by the Department of Labor for any employee. So a, an individual who is working five hours a week for Open Avenues Foundation has to be paid the fair hourly wage for those five hours. Um, so there are wage requirements, but not time requirements necessarily. Um, you can work as little as five hours a week for an organization. And is there a central database or portal where uh, folks can go in and look for these positions, which are at, in these four categories at universities and re research institutions and um, where they can get a cap exempt, H1, cap exempt visa? Does that we exist? We create one, Abhishek. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> um, it's a. It would be a great tool. Um, you you really have to, I guess, understand what you're looking for within those four categories and the types of institutions that fall within them, and then look for jobs accordingly. Uh, but there there's not a database for that. Okay. Okay. Um, let's transition to the open avenues model then. Um, Maybe just give us a little bit of background, you know, how did you even get started with this model, right? I think one key word, again, which you mentioned at the beginning was um, you wanted to create, uh, start, go on a path that was sustainable and self-sustainable. I think that's one aspect of this. But um, tell us a little bit about how did you get started with this, uh, with the Open Avenues model? And then let's go into the details and talk about who, who, might, who should be thinking about contacting you and making use of this opportunity. Yeah. So I mentioned that my father is an immigration attorney. So he was the brains behind the operation from the beginning. Um, as any father-daughter company starts, uh, it was in the car on a long drive when we started talking about the reality of cap-exempt H-1Bs. Uh, Jeff had just started in 2016, actually 2014, I think they started ideating this, the concept of the Global Entrepreneur in Residence Program. And the GEIR program was leveraging universities as the cap-exempt organization, because we said that's also one of these cap-exempt uh, entities. And GEIR creates programs at universities where foreign national founders can work for five to eight hours a week at one of the GEIR programs at a university. And then their own company that they're starting can sponsor them for full-time cap-exempt status. This is leveraging this. It was the first iteration of this cap-exempt model where you work part-time for a cap-exempt organization and then have a full-time private employer piggyback, quote-unquote, or concurrently employ you in cap-exempt status. GEIR is still running today. It's an awesome model. It is successful in many, many ways. The problem with GEIR that Jeff and I were brainstorming is that universities are risk averse. They do not want to scale an immigration program. They do not have the HR capacity to scale an immigration program, nor is there a desire really internally to do so and take on that innate risk uh, that comes with filing a visa. So. One of the other types of cap-exempt organizations was a, is, is a nonprofit that is affiliated with universities. And what we brainstormed was the reality that we could build the same type of benefit 
for founders and even expand it and scale it to mid to senior level foreign national employees if we just took this out of the university, but partnered with the university to give them that same benefit, which is the five hours per week of work that a foreign national would need to work with the university in some capacity to benefit that school. And Open Avenues was really our phase two of Open Avenues was building programming that hired foreign nationals and leveraged foreign nationals expertise to train U.S. students at our partner schools, which meant that we were cap exempt. We were able to sponsor foreign nationals for visas while benefiting U.S. students at, US, at colleges and universities. So that was the concept and how we built it off of what existed with GEIR and thought about scale and thought about what we could do to make an impact for more foreign nationals that needed this resource. So at the beginning, was it where you exclusively, you had designed the program to support founders? Is, was that the start? So evolving off of the GEIR model, you said, okay, let's take it. Let's partner with the universities. Let's have them quote unquote outsource that to open avenues and then open avenues can support these founders whose companies, uh, the founders can work for you in partnership with the universities and the company can continue to hire the founders to continue to operate the, the startup. That was a we big actually, name. we did the opposite. GEIR exists for founders and we decided we wanted to start with mid to senior level employees who weren't eligible for the GEIR program. So our first company in 2019 that partnered with us wanted to keep their mid-level software developer who was critical to their new product and launching their new product that year. Mm -hmm. And her OPT was expiring and we brought her on as our first fellow. This was pre-COVID. So we had her working in person at our university partner at the time uh, in a class. And we had her in working for Open Avenues for five hours a week. We sponsored her. And then her employer was able to keep her as their software developer full time. So this is how this began. And, and we launched the Global Talent Fellowship, which is the name of the program. Um, the mm -hmm. fellows in our program, again, are mostly uh, mid to senior level. We do have some founders in the program as well. But uh, it's really open to anyone that has a company that's willing to sponsor them. Right. So it's open to founders as well. It's, uh, but that's not your active focus. Your active focus, go to market, if you will, is to focus on mid to senior positions. So, but how did they get started? Just out of curiosity, how did you find, like, did you go in with their intent and did, did you um, actively market the offering and somebody discovered you and said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I want to retain this uh, amazing individual that I have in my team who now has to go back to their home country or um, was it an organic evolution of uh, something you were trying at that time? It was an organic evolution. And the reason is Jeff's law firm, Jeff runs a, a law firm in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Goldman and Partners Immigration Law. And Jeff's law firm had tons of clients that were desperately in need of this solution. They mm. were waiting for a solution like this. They had employees that were losing the lottery and coming to Jeff and saying, what do we do? We don't want this individual to have to leave. So immediately we had companies that were lined up waiting for us to develop this program. Um, the hardest part for any startup is getting the first customer, right? I pitched this to many of those companies and they said, we don't want to be the first, right? So finally we found that first company that said, yes, we would love to be the first ones to have a fellow in your program. And our first visa was approved. Um, we sponsored her as a software development fellow with Open Avenues. And we had her leading software development projects for students at our partner school. Our first partner school in Boston was Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology. And she was in a freshman seminar leading a course to, to work with students on a project where they built Raspberry Pi computers. And it was so cool to see this come to fruition, even though it was just one fellow at a time at that beginning stage. 
I, I, I have to say, listening to you, even though this is the second time I'm listening to this, it just, I'm, I still can't believe that this exists. And it's like, you've threaded this needle or this multi, you know, multi-needle maze that you've solved. And like, even I think to explain it and to, for me to say it back, right, what you're doing, it just requires so many, like, so this happens and then that happens and then that happens. It's like really kudos to you and open avenues for what you're doing. This is nothing short of a, a feat. And just frankly exhibits your dedication to helping out immigrants because without that kind of sort of intense dedication, I think I don't think anyone has the courage to do what you've done, frankly. It's wildly <laughs> intricate and it took years to really build the layers that you're talking about and yeah. learn to explain those layers to companies so that they understand that this is an option for their foreign national employees and learn to explain it to foreign nationals so that they know that this is an option. So that's, that's, you know, equally as challenging as building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, because, you know, there's so many people out there, frankly, who are, who have these programs and schemes that like immigrants, I think are wary a little bit of that as well. Like, okay, is this for yeah. real again? Can I trust this? Um, so how this was, so you started back in 2018, 2019 and, that's when you got your first um, first corporation, first company that was willing to use the program. How has the program grown since then in the last, frankly, short, very short three to four years, especially con considering we had the pandemic in between, right? That yeah. those are essentially lost years. So let's say, let's just say it's two years, right? <laughs> well, man, um, that was it was wild when the pandemic started. Uh, we had four fellows that we had sponsored for cap exempt H1Bs prior and big plans to grow and everything stopped. Hmm. Um, we cut salaries, we cut every expense and I was actually ready to stop. Um, and my, we, one of our COO left and it was just really me and this, our vice president, Mary Ellen Jewers at the time. And Mary Ellen said to me one day, she was like, we cannot stop. Like we're sitting on a, on something that is gold, like for so many people. And we have to just see this through. We've gone so far. So we spent COVID, you know, bringing on probably four to five more companies into the program. We ended the year with 10 total companies in 2020 and building, rebranding our programming to be the global talent fellowship. We worked on marketing materials we had many different iterations of like campaigns and different program concepts that we tried to pivot to in the meantime. But as soon as the election happened in late 2020, and then the economy started picking up in early 2021, we had an influx starting in January, 2021 of companies. And that year we brought on 30 new company partners into the program, sponsored all of them with a hundred percent approval rating. And in 2022, we just ended the year with 50 more. So we have, you know, sponsored nearly 100 foreign nationals at this point for cap exempt H-1Bs with 100% approval rating. And all of them coming from, almost all coming from unique company partners. And all these fellows are, are launching projects and we've trained more than 500 students in a variety of STEM and business fields. So we've seen tremendous growth um, mostly because that COVID moment propelled us to go fully remote mm -hmm. and we can now have fellows in our program across the United States, leading projects for students at schools across the United States online. It's yeah. so cool what our fellows are able to do via zoom. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really, really cool. And I, I do want to really discuss that a little bit more, right. Again, about stories and how what the work that you're doing to highlight those stories and get those stories out there. Um, maybe staying on the open avenues model for a little bit, how do, and because I'm sure people in the audience will also be folks who are um, at corporates right now who might want, who might be interested in your program. Tell us a little bit about the model, which is from a legal perspective, from a immigration perspective, the model is clear, which is you are partnered with universities and you employ individuals um, in your capacity on a part-time basis and that allows those individuals to be employed by anyone in any organization in the U.S. Um, 
in a regular role um, under that same cap exempt H-1B visa, correct? Is that now a self-sustaining program to go back to your earlier point and how is it self-sustaining? Like what's the business model like that helps you self-sustain this or are you operating based on grants and other, um, other revenue sources? So to create a sustainable model for us, we knew we needed to charge companies to enable and, and kickstart this process for one of their employees. So we actually market our programming to, for, to employers who have identified a key foreign national that they want to retain or bring from abroad. And those companies are able to then nominate a key foreign national or nominate themselves if they're a founder for our global talent fellowship program. And then we go through an evaluation process. And if we think that this individual is qualified for an H-1B and that they are a good candidate for us to put in front of students and have them lead projects with students in our network, then we will hire them as a, uh, a fellow in our program. But we will contract with their employer and the employer pays open avenues for the fellowship experience at an ongoing basis until the individual does not need a cap exempt H-1B anymore. And companies are partnered with us until the individual exits the program, which can be because they win the lottery the following year, or perhaps they get a it, the first step, the I-140 approved on their, and the EAD from their green card application. Um, or perhaps they get to check the last box on an O-1 and they're now, they think they're qualified for an extraordinary ability visa. There's many reasons why an individual would exit our program and enter into another visa, visa category. Um, but that's really how we bring in fellows. It's through company nominations um, and partnership with the private sector entities. Are there any constraints? So it sounds like um, when a candidate is presented to you by the organization, then you go through an evaluation process. So there are chances you might go through the evaluation process and say, no, can't really take on this person because of XYZ reasons. We can't um, have them train students or they don't fall into any of our categories, right? So it sounds like that's a possibility. How long does the evaluation process take place? And what are the typical um, scenarios that come across? Are, are the, Well, so three questions, right? How long does the evaluation process take place? Are there any const other constraints, like are there numerical constraints where you say, okay, we take on only 100 fellows a year? Um, and what, um, let's get to the first two questions because yeah. I, and then I'll get to the third question. There are no numerical constraints. Um, we can take individuals into our program, as many as we technically want. Um, for Open Avenues, we are continuing to build capacity to grow the programming and take individuals throughout the year on a rolling basis. Um, and we will hire if we reach the point where we need to bring on more staff to be able to maintain the influx of applicants. Um, when we're looking at applicants, the reason we would not bring someone on most common is if they are not eligible for an H-1B visa. A lot of folks come to us and they're working as a software developer, but they have a degree in English or they have a degree in you know, finance and it just does not align. An H-1B is successful if you have a degree in a field that has prepared you for the job you are working in. And mm -hmm. We would never take on a case that we did not think would be approved. It's why we have a hundred percent approval rating. It's because we really do due diligence for no cost upfront. It takes us two to three weeks to do an evaluation. We have a law firm do work with us. Um, they work in kind to do these evaluations for open avenues candidates. And we are able to get a response to those individuals. We do a screening call. Um, and of course, during that screening call, we're looking to make sure the candidates understand that this is not just a visa that you're signing up for and paying for at all. That's not the intention of our program. It's not why we built the program. Um, we are on a mission to have our foreign nationals train American students 
and demonstrate that they are adding value when they stay in the United States. And if they can't get on board with that mission and they don't want to really spend that five hours a week working with students, it's not the right fit for our organization. Yeah, I'm sure you've had cases. Maybe you've had cases where people show up and they're like, wink, wink, do I really have to be doing the training? Totally. And I get that, right? Like it's not, you know, in a best case scenario and what we get a lot of times are individuals who are really excited to give back to society that they are building in, working in, and that's given them a lot. You know, U.S. coming to the United States is an awesome opportunity for a lot of people and they appreciate it and they want to do good in society and feel part of it, feel like they belong. And you feel like you belong when you're a contributor. And volunteering or working towards workforce development programming is a great way for foreign nationals to feel like contributors. Yeah, you know, and that's a great segue into into that part of what you do, which is, I think for a number of years, what you just said has been in my mind as well, which is um, immigrants do. And if they don't, they should have this attitude that, you know, they're coming to this country and they should really be looking for not just, okay, what can this country do for me? But also asking themselves, okay, what can you do? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to be part of the society and you shouldn't just be in a quote-unquote mercenary mode where you're just looking to extract, but also thinking about how can you give back. And I think by doing that, not only are you helping and not only do you acclimatize and become part of the cultural fabric, but you also contribute to changing the widespread, not widespread, but changing the some of the sentiments yes. against immigrants in the country where uh, immigrants are just disliked. And there's this notion that, well, they're really taking um, away our resources and using our resources and giving nothing, et cetera, which is, of course, in many cases or most cases, false. And so they, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that there's you know, that component, of course, as part, that's a core component of what you're doing. But tell us a little bit more about, you have these stories and you have these fellows contributing, training the students. How are you then taking that and using that to change, start to change the sentiments that there are in some parts of the U.S. um, against immigrants? So phase one of open avenues in terms of narrative change has been collecting data. So now that we have a really exciting set of data about the number of students that have been uh, that have been impacted by foreign nationals, we have foreign nationals who have been able to stay in the U.S. and do amazing things for their companies. I'm talking develop new COVID vaccines, develop testing swabs and 3D print testing swabs for the, to, to, you know, mitigate the pandemic shortages. And those stories and, and that ammunition almost has been building over time. We couldn't just start putting out stories without really having a collection. So 2023, I am working Uh, with a team of marketing professionals who are going to help us tell that story better and get it in front of people who need to hear it the most. Um, We are really excited about the, not just putting numbers out, because there's a lot of organizations that do an incredible job of telling stories through data itself, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily pairing it with stories that people relate to. Um, a massive part of what we do that naturally happens over time is having U.S. students work with a foreign national, be taught by a foreign national, have a foreign national open a path for them in life. And that in itself is narrative change, is change of sentiment of individuals that trickles. So there's two pieces that we're, you know, building here. One is just the natural grassroots change that happens because of the way we work with this mentor, with positioning foreign nationals as mentors and teachers. And then the other is as we position foreign nationals as mentors and teachers and give surveys and collect data, um, we're now in a position after four years to, to, to showcase the the plethora of of um, stories and data that we have collected. Would you, perchance, have a story to share with us, without naming any names, but where 
the foreign national really impacted the life of a student in a in an outsized way yeah we recently just had one of our fellows tell this story um and i just was so moved by it and the 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 student um was actually at one of our community college partners in boston um at one time you know she had basically thrown all of her savings to going to school um she articulated to us in a in an interview for the project she was signing up for that she had been homeless previously she was really giving everything she had to just try to go to college and she did not have a family that was paying for school she didn't have connections to get into industry but she knew she wanted to go into biotech it's what she was interested in and she put everything into i i will say mass bay community college because they've just done an incredible job of supporting this student and the student um ultimately participated in one of our micro internships we call them and the micro internships are paid which is why we which is part of our model it's why you know what we do with our funds companies are paying us but we're actually paying students to participate in this and the the student was able to work with with she did two of our projects and got paid to do those projects and put them on her resume and she checked in with those felt with our fellows she checked she had one-on-one -on -one mentor sessions she was able to work on her resume with them she built up her her resume and portfolio to a point where she actually went and she got a position at Takeda as a research scientist and oh. i met with her recently and she told us this story and of her trajectory and how open avenues and having those resume building experiences and working with those foreign national fellows really gave her and equipped with the with the experiences and equipped her with the skills that she needed to get that job. And so on the whole other side of this, while we're able to help foreign nationals stay in the US, the impact that they're able to have bringing students from places where they just can dream of high growth companies being their employer to actually being at that employer uh, is just really rewarding work for both the fellows and for us. Yeah, I can, I can, I can just imagine how rewarding that is for everyone involved. Is there um, just for my awareness, Daniel? Is there a program out there that exists which does something similar, right, to Open Avenues, but allows the, allows foreign nationals to go and train slash work with just communities at large uh, to develop the workforce? So not necessarily students, not as part of the Open Avenues model with the intent of getting the cap exempt H one B and training students, but, you know, going into underserved communities or underserved uh, or states where the workforce is not um, either well-educated or doesn't have the skills that are required in today's modern day and age, but the foreign nationals can go in and do that to do their part in contributing to society, mm -hmm. but then also to change the image uh, that, that those folks have might about immigrants. So not that I'm aware of, but I love the idea I think the concept is so important. We have a lot of foreign nationals reach out to open avenues asking if they can volunteer. They don't want to be part of our fellowship. They just want to train students. So this year we also are getting towards that and figuring out how we build in opportunities for foreign nationals to lead workforce development programs or their own, you know, mini micro internships or lead a, uh, or be mentors really um, for students. So. I think it's an amazing idea to, to go beyond workforce development. There's so many ways that foreign nationals can contribute. Something for us to talk about, I think, I offline as well. I, I think that's... <laughs> I see that's, another nonprofit for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. I mean, I, I know we are almost uh, five minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, maybe just to start to wrap things up. Uh, I know there are a few questions in the chat that we can address really quickly. But before we get to those... Um, you know, how can people who are listening to this, you know, contact you, Danielle, to learn more about the program, to ask maybe additional questions, and uh, how how could they potentially help as well? If anyone is in a position to help the organization in some way or the mission, what can what can they do? So, there are ways on our website to go to our Global Talent Fellow page, and you can re request more information on that page. 
It will send a one pager. It will send links to our YouTube video where there are multiple, if you go to our YouTube channel, there are multiple uh, series of answering questions about CAP exempt H-1Bs. We also have a full information session on the program there. I think that's the best way to get inform information. Um, if anyone has an employer that is interested in nominating you for the fellowship, I will meet with any employer that wants to learn more about the program. Um, so there is a also a place on the website um, you can press for companies and or you can go to the Global Talent Fellow page and there are places where you can have a company nominate you. Um, also, uh, companies can email me directly. Um, so that, that's Danielle at openavenuesfoundation.org. Um, I'm not taking meetings right now with every foreign national, but I'm re we are having monthly information sessions with Q&A directly with me where foreign nationals can get questions answered. Um, we have our first one tomorrow. Uh, it's at 12 p.m. Eastern time, and that sign-up um, I will send somewhere and work with Abhishek to get that posted. Yeah, if you send me the link, I'll I'll put all those links in the show notes. Uh, but since this, this event is tomorrow, if you if you send me that link today, Daniel, I can uh, broadcast that on uh, LinkedIn and on yeah, channels amazing. Well. We're doing them each month, so mm -hmm. there will be uh, more coming up, um, but. For, to help Open Avenues, really, um, if you have ideas of where we could be to get the word out about this program or things we can do, or you want to be an ambassador and connect Open Avenues to your networks, I would love to have that conversation. Um, we're word of mouth. I'm not doing email marketing campaigns. I'm not, you know, sending flyers <laughs> uh, or mail, um, but we are really, really growing based off reputation and individuals who have successfully been through our program. So if you want to be an advocate for us, please let me know. We have a, just a few questions that I think we can address quickly. Um, uh, Ankita has a few questions. The first question is, she's asking if her university hires her, I'm assuming it's her, but if her university hires her and sponsors her, then that means that she can get the cap exam visa. Is that correct? She is an F1 student at a university right now. That is true, but it's not easy to get a university to sponsor you for an eight for cap exempt H1B. It's just not common that universities will do this, especially for entry level assistant professors or even professors sometimes. So I I don't discourage you from having that conversation. It's totally worth exploring, but it's um, it's just not common that that's something they'll do. So just an FYI, but it's it's a possibility. Um, and uh, later on, she also asks about spreading the awareness about this in her college. Um, yeah. Her college has a huge number of international students who yeah. are interested in H1B. So I, I guess, how can that take place? Um, if mm -hmm. Ankita is interested in perhaps being an ambassador, to your yep. point earlier, w w what can we do to spread awareness in her college? Yeah, happy to always speak to the international student office. Um, so if there's, I'm most of most foreign nationals are connected to that office in some way. So if you're interested in sending them information, you can also contact me, and we can get a handout over to them or a presentation. Um, I'm ha I always am doing presentations for for different schools, so that could be a great solution. Excellent. Um, a couple of questions from Pedro. Uh, he's asking if this is applicable to those who have bachelors um, as well, or are there any qualification requirements? The answer is yes. We are now accepting bachelor's candidates. There was a brief period last year where we were not. Um, that ended uh, within a couple of months, and we are doing um, accepting bachelor's candidates into our Global Talent Fellowship at this point. Excellent. And then he asks... How can an employee approach their employer about the program? Yeah. Um, so if you could speak to that, I know there's a four companies tab, but that's for companies to really nominate someone in their organization. But if Pedro wanted to make his company aware about this program, are there any, yes. is there any material he can use to quickly do that? So I, I, the best way to talk to your employer about this would be to first inform yourself as best as possible by listening to our Open Avenues information session recording or attending a recording. The 
the more informed you are on open avenues and how it works and how this model could benefit you, the better off you're going to be in that conversation. So I recommend talking about what a cap exempt H-1B is to your employer and that this is a possibility and that Open Avenues runs a program that could really benefit you, not just with your visa, but as a leadership opportunity for you for growth in your profession. There might be professional development dollars put aside for you that you could think about tapping into here. Um, the other benefit for companies that's worth mentioning is that all of the students that our fellows work with our future pipeline for mm -hmm. our companies. So companies get access to very diverse student populations who are motivated and excited to launch careers in these spaces. And they're trained by our foreign nationals. So companies are getting a visa solution, getting leadership development for their foreign national employee and getting access to new talent pipeline. And that's a pretty good sell for why they should even have a conversation with me. Um, and all that your job is, is to really get them into um, a Zoom meeting um, and see, I will take it from there and explain the model uh, more thoroughly and the pricing and how all of this, this works. I don't recommend putting a handout in front of them with pricing on it until they speak to an Open Avenues representative. What about, um, I think what might be helpful, so putting aside pricing, but just a web page or a, or a handout that explains, that answers those questions succinctly yes. that uh, students and employees can take and simply hand over to their employers, which answers most of the questions, which is what is the visa, how does it help, how it helps the company build the pipeline of future employees as well. I think that'll be um, super helpful. Yes. Well, this, is, this has been amazing. I know we are way over time, Daniel, but really, really appreciate you taking time out to uh, meet me, go through this podcast, answer the questions. I, I think this session is going to help a lot of people out there. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for joining and thanks everyone else for in the audience for joining as well. Thank you so much for having me and for the great questions. I, I really enjoyed the conversation.